Okay, we reach uh, Exodus 37, uh, which there are 40 chapters in Exodus, so we are, we are nearing the end. I think we will probably even finish next month um, in, in June. Uh, we've got a couple of things that, that will prevent us from finishing in May, but uh, in June, it looks like we will finish. Uh, the last 13 of those uh, chapters, or actually 13 out of the last 16, deal with the tabernacle, as you know, and so we're on the last six, most of which of, of those deal with the tabernacle and its furnishings. Um, and so you will remember this from way back in Exodus 35. And let them make a sanctuary. So that's what the, the tabernacle is. That I may dwell in their midst exactly as I show you concerning the tabernacle and all of its furniture or furnishings, you shall make it. So the details matter. Um, talked last time about this, that, that much of what you're going to see tonight, you have seen nearly word for word um, in Exodus, mostly 25 tonight and a little bit in, in Exodus um, 30. So if you've been coming all along, when we started the tabernacle, Exodus 25 is kind of the beginning of what God commands to be made for uh, the tabernacle, and now we're close to the end of that. So when we were on Exodus 25, though, I said, um, it's a long time ago now, but when I said that we would come back to one thing in particular uh, when we came through this the second time around and and, and tonight we're on the second time around, and so we are going to um, talk about that one thing that I said we would come back to. Um, but before we go there, just a quick review um, from, from uh, last week when we were on Exodus 36, um, and, and the construction on the tabernacle began in Exodus 36, and beginning with the tabernacle itself. So, and you'll remember when we talked about this, that God supplied everything that was needed for the extraordinary work of building a place for his presence to dwell. Um, so that's extraordinary work, but God provided everything that would need. He supplied everything that was needed, and this chapter broke down into... Um, Four parts in the Hebrew Bible, we broke it into five. Um, that, with it, that uh, And these are it. The Lord's tabernacle workers, so the Lord provided the workers for the tabernacle. Um, he filled Bezalel with his spirit. He also gave wisdom to many people. Many contributed uh, with what they had for the construction of the tabernacle. But all of those things God provided. Uh, next was the temple tabernacle interior. You'll remember that the, the tabernacle itself is, is a four-layer tent. Uh, the inside layer is ornate, uh, beautiful with fine cloth. Uh, that's what is on the inside of the tabernacle. Uh, next, there's a tent over the tabernacle. It's actually three layers. Um, the, the first of those, so the second layer, uh, follows basically the shape of the first layer, and then there's Above that, there are two other layers to make it withstand uh, weather. There's a tent frame, a heavy-duty tent frame um, also uh, that was 
Must have been visible from the inside because it's all gold-plated, wood with gold plate. Um, and then there's a veil and a curtain, which are different things, or a veil and a screen, depending on your uh, translation. The veil uh, separates the Holy of Holies from the rest of the tabernacle, the holy place, and then the screen is on the entrance. So after last time, this is what we ended up with. Um, constructed like this, you can see that the tabernacle um, is there. Remember that its, its dimensions are... 10 cubits wide by 30 cubits long and 10 cubits high. Um, and so there are the layers of the tent, the tent frame, um, the veil. You can see the veil in purple there, which separates the Holy of Holies into a 10 by 10 by 10 um, in cubits now. Um, Room and then the rest of it is is twice that big, and then the curtain or the screen or the curtain is on the uh, east end, which would be to your left, to your right. There we go, to your right. Yeah, to your right. Um, and it was always oriented the same way. Tabernacles always oriented the same way. So, and, and like like a like a good American, I put north up. So, so that's what it would look like. Look something like this. Um, you can see there's some posts in the frame are, are gold-plated. But God provided everything needed. He had the plans in detail, uh, the people, and then all the things that were needed, all the provisions he provided for this construction. And um, one thing we covered last time as part of the review is, is this verse that... And, um, the Lord said to Moses, the people bring much more, or, I mean, Bezalel said to Moses, the, Lord, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. And so when, when, when I read that, I was convinced, and after going back and reading it, this passage in Philippians that is so, so popular about supplying all our needs, that I'm convinced that Paul, in his mind, as his background, was thinking of this passage in Exodus when he wrote um, concerning the gift that the Philippians had given him. I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. That's Exodus language. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So Paul, knowing that God had supplied the, the needs of the people to do his work in Exodus, understood that God supplied his needs as he was doing his work and understood that God's people always get what they need. God always provides what he needs for his people and so that comes right to us. We're next. After the people in Philippi, God supplies all our needs. And you get that from, from reading Exodus and seeing that what's in Exodus um, is what 
God is like. And so, uh, Exodus 37 then, as we begin, so we're, gonna, we're going to deal with the tabernacle furnishings now. Uh, and tonight, in, in chapter 37, they are the things that go inside the tabernacle. So inside the tent that we saw. Um, and it's, we're going to talk about um, these kind of things. So if you have an ESV Bible, um, Exodus 37, it, you can see that it has uh, four breaks. It says, starts with making the ark, and then making the table, and then making the lampstand, and then making the altar of incense. We'll use, we'll use those same breaks tonight. They're the same ones that are in the Hebrew Bible, which doesn't have headings on there. Um, so, uh, and rather than writing making, we'll just put the ark is the first section, runs through the first nine verses, then the table the next seven verses, and then the lampstand, the next eight verses, and then the altar of incense, the last five verses of of Exodus, chapter 37. So we'll begin with the ark, and so our plan for tonight is similar to last week, actually. We'll go through it, make read through it, make a few comments as we go, and then we're going to come back to the first section, the part about the ark. So the ark is the most important thing in the tabernacle. So why is it the most important thing inside the tabernacle? Well, first of all, look where it is. It's in the Holy of Holies. It's the only thing in there. So it's the Holy of Holies. It's Familiar, if you're familiar, the Holy of Holies can also be, mean the most holy place. Um, and so the tabernacle is divided, as you can see, into the holy place and the most holy place, or the Holy of Holies. And what, secondly, besides of where it is, what's in it and what its function is. So what goes in the Ark of the Covenant is the covenant, or the, art of the, te- or the Ark of the Testimony, as it's called earlier in Exodus. Um, so the, it's, the, it's the covenant document that God has with his people Israel. The Ten Commandments, the stone tablets go inside there. Uh, and thirdly, and this is probably the, mo- the reason it's most important of the important reasons. It says this in Exodus 25. And there I will meet with you. So this is God talking to Moses There I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. So that's why I'll meet with you there. Um. And above, notice where it is, above the mercy seat, between the cherubim. So, so, so angels, figures or symbols of angels on the ark of the testimony. Uh, and that said, let's begin with um, verse 
1 of Exodus 37. So if you don't have your Bibles open on to Exodus 37, please do so. And Bezalel made the Ark of Acacia Wood. Now that's not the whole first verse. Um, so the Ark is the Ark of the Testimony. It's the Ark of the Covenant. It's not the same thing as an Ark like Noah's Ark. It's a different thing from that. Um, not even the same word um, for Ark. Uh, but it is different. And notice what it's made out of. It's made out of acacia wood, which was readily available where they were. Um, and two cubits and a half was its length, and a cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. So I remember that, um, that uh, a cubit is generally considered here to here. Um, and so as we get taller, our cubits are getting a little bit longer usually. But, but you guys know John Lester? Um, I have here from John Lester. These are his, these are his notes from Perry Preheim's Wednesday night class on 9-18-22. And John did some research after class because he said, here's what I know. <laughs> John has really a lot of good information. Here's a cubit. An English cubit is 18 inches. A Roman cubit was 17.4 inches. An Egyptian cubit was 20.64 inches. So bigger, actually. And I think it's likely, and John didn't talk to me about that, but I think it's likely that if we're talking about cubits, we're probably talking about the Egyptian cubit. Because um, that's where Moses came from. Uh, anyway, um, so maybe it's a little bit bigger than when it says 10 by 10 by 10 in cubits, a little bit bigger than 15 by 15 by 15 feet. Um, but uh, we don't know for sure. We know it's cubits. And, the, and he overlaid it with pure gold inside and out. So that's inside the ark and outside the ark and made a molding of gold around it. And he cast for it four rings of gold for its four feet, two rings on its one side and two rings on its other side. And he made poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. And he put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark. Pretty, pretty understandable, pretty simple so far. And he made a mercy seat of pure gold. Now notice the difference. Uh, the mercy seat here is pure gold. It's not made of wood. It's made of gold, solid gold. Um, so anybody have anything different from and he made a mercy seat of pure gold. Is anybody's? Yes, Wilma. Atonement cover. You're reading the New International Version. 
Anybody else have anything different from mercy seat? Well, atonement cover and mercy seat, um, that sounds like a wide range of translations. Um, Even though almost everybody in here, which the Bible you're reading says mercy seat, uh, NIV says atonement cover. Interestingly, the updated New American Standard version, which came out in 2020, says the atoning cover. So, and the uh, Jewish translation, the JPS, Jewish Publication Society, they translate the Hebrew scriptures into English. Theirs reads, cover. There will be a cover. He made a cover of pure gold. So, when we were going through Exodus 25, I said I'd come back to something. Well, this is it, because we are going to talk about this, but we will talk more about it uh, at, the, at the end. So pure gold. It's made of pure gold, so it probably is pretty heavy. It doesn't say how much it weighed or how much gold was used, but it is a covering for the ark. It's the lid for the ark. So one thing we should expect is that it would have the same width and the same length. And he made a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half was its length, and a cubit and a half its breadth, the same as the ark. And he made two cherubim of gold. Again, they're made of solid gold. And he made two cherubim of of gold. He made them of hammered work on the two ends of the mercy seat. One cherub on the one end, and one cherub on the other end, And of one piece with the mercy seat, he made the cherubim on its two ends. So this is one piece. It's not like you go to JD's House of Trophies and and you bolt on a piece to the trophy. No, this is one solid piece of gold with the hammered gold with the cherubim as part of it. And the cherubim spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat, which would, which would point then to uh, the cover, with their wings and with their faces to one another, toward the mercy seat were the faces of the cherubim. So it looks, nobody knows for sure of humans on earth uh, what this looked like, but, but this, is, this is a rendering of it. Uh, it looks pretty true to to what is described, except for it doesn't look to me like the poles are overlaid with gold. Um, but other than that, I mean, you can you can hear the things that were uh, described. You've got the you've got the ark inside and outside gold. Uh, it's got some feet. Um, it's got rings that the poles pass through. It's got some kind of a cover, a mercy seat. It has the cherubim on on each end with their wings overshadowing and their faces facing each other and the cover or the mercy seat. So we're going to come back to this section. Uh, Next we'll go to the table. 
And he also made a table of acacia wood. So it's like the ark. It's made of wood. And the table is located not in the Holy of Holies, though. It's located outside. Um, in this location, you don't find in here, but you can find it in uh, Exodus 25. It's on the north side of the holy place. So the purpose of this table is to display uh, before the Lord bread. Um, so 12 loaves of bread were to be there all the time. Two rows uh, of six loaves of bread, one for each of the tribes of Israel at all times before the Lord. So they were changed out weekly. Um, and then uh, this, is what, this is what David ate um, with his men uh, later on when he came to uh, the tent at Shiloh. So this is what, what he ate um, from that bread that was because the priests would take it off and then they would be able to eat it. And he also made the table of acacia wood. Two cubits was its length, a cubit was its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. And he overlaid it with pure gold and made a molding of gold around it, much like the ark. It's a little bit smaller. doesn't appear to be a box, but a table um, with legs, molding just like the ark did. And he made a rim around it, a handbreadth wide, and a molding of gold around the rim. And he cast for it four rings of gold and fastened the rings to the corners, to the four corners, at its four legs. Close to the frame were the rings as holders for the poles to carry the table. And he made the poles of acacia wood to carry the table, and he overlaid them with gold. So very much like the ark. And he made the vessels of pure gold that were... Uh, to be on the table. Now, the next thing will, depending on which version you have, I mean, I think all the major versions use different words for these four things. Uh, it's plates and dishes for incense. It's bowls, and I think you pronounce it flagons. It's a pitcher uh, with which to pour drink offerings. Next, we'll move on to the lampstand, the third thing in the uh, tabernacle that was made. And he also made the lampstand of pure gold. Okay, good. Another, not made with wood or anything else, solid gold, the lampstand is. Um, so like the cover of the mercy seat, the, the cover of the mercy seat, um, pure gold. Um, and here is where it is located, on the south side of the tabernacle, across from the table. So these lamps were to be kept burning, especially at night, tended at least twice a day by the priests. They, they had to keep them going all night long, so if it took more time. Uh, candles had not yet been invented, um, so you, it was with, with oil. Uh, and he made the lamp stand of pure gold. He made the lampstand of hammered work, its base, its stem, its cups, its calyxes, I think New American Standard might say buds, and its flowers were of one piece with it. And there were six branches going out of its sides, three branches of the lampstand out of one side, 
of it and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side of it and three cups made like almond blossoms, each with a calyx and a flower and one branch on one branch and three cups made like almond blossoms, each with a calyx and a flower on the other branch. So for the six branches going out from the lampstand. And on the lampstand itself were four cups made like almond blossoms with their calyxes and their flowers and a calyx of one piece with it under each pair of the six branches going out from it. Their calyxes and their branches were of one piece with it. So it's all one piece hammered out. The whole of it was as a single piece of hammered work of pure gold and he made its um, seven lamps and its tongs and its trays of pure gold and he made it and all of its utensils out of a talent of pure gold. So that's somewhere between like 70 to 100 pounds. The lampstand is really heavy. Um, one piece and it might have looked something like this. If you want to look for these things, you can find lots of examples, but this kind of takes into account different parts of it as it goes up. Um, it is the, uh, the menorah. It's a little bit different from the, the, the menorah that you will see at um, Hanukkah because Hanukkah's menorah has nine, not seven, lamps. Hanukkah is the dedication celebrating the dedication of the temple. Next we have the altar of incense. Now this one wasn't included in Exodus 25. It was a little bit later in Exodus 30. But it is inside the holy place also. Uh, And he made an altar of incense of acacia wood. So like the ark, like the table, it's made of acacia wood. Um, And here's where it goes. Uh, It's located just um, outside of the Holy of Holies. Its purpose is to provide incense continually inside the holy place. And when the high priest was to enter, to make a cloud of incense, a lot of incense, a a noticeable amount of um, cloud so that it would actually obstruct the view um, when you went into the Holy of Holies, when the high priest would go in there once per year. So here here are the details. And he made the altar of incense of acacia wood. Its length was a cubit, and its breadth was a cubit, so it's not big. It was square, and the two cubits, and two cubits was its height, so three feet high, roughly. Its horns were one piece with it, he overlaid it with pure gold, its top, and all around its sides and its horns. So very much similar to the construction of the ark. And he made a molding of gold around it, like the ark, like the table. And he made two rings of gold on it, under its molding, on the opposite sides of it, as holders for the poles with which to carry it like the ark, like the table, and there are only two rings because it's small. And he made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. 
And he made the holy anointing oil also, and the fragrant incense blended as by a perfumer. So the anointing oil um, had a specific formula. It was for anointing um, the things in the tabernacle, the tabernacle itself, people, and you could not make a copy of it. It's punishable by death. Um, And the fragrant incense, same thing. Uh, A formula, you can't make it, can't use it for personal use. It's for use in worship only. Um, And so the altar of incense, we looked at this before, looked something like this. I mean, that's about about the right uh, dimensions, it looks like. Uh, so, So now... These are the things, these are the four things that are inside the tabernacle. Um, And so let's go back to the ark. And let's go specifically back to the ark, to this, to the mercy seat. So, and we'll just ask this one question. What is it? So what is the mercy seat? So... Um, Well, notice where it is. It is in the Holy of Holies. It's on top of the ark. So it's that, it's the, what looks like a rim there, the cover, including the cherubim above it. Um, And so that's what is referred to. And and even the cherubim themselves are said to be facing the mercy seat. So, and he made a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half was its length, and a cubit and a half its breadth. And he made two cherubim of gold. He made them of hammered work on the two ends of the mercy seat. So they seem to be indicating where the the mercy seat is, but not technically part of it because they are attached to it. One cherubim, although they're in one hammered work, on one end and one cherub on the other end, of one piece with the mercy seat, they shall be made, um, or he made the, the cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings, and with their faces one to another toward the mercy seat, were the faces of the cherubim. So uh, let's talk about mercy seat for a minute. And in the, in the other translations that, I'm, that we read, NIV has atonement cover. New American Standard, the new one, atoning cover. Um, just the, the Jewish translation, just cover. So where does the translation mercy seat come from? Well, I don't know. <laughs> um, it, it's historical, and it is widespread. And, and sometimes um, things that, that are that way get, get replicated. But, but let's just go to, we'll just refer to, without, without getting too technical, let's, let's refer to Hebrew. Okay, in Hebrew... Mercy seat here, what's translated mercy seat is one word. 
And it's not a word for mercy, and it's not a word for seat. It's not a word for either one of those. So, it appears that the translation is not based on the language, not based on the word itself, but, but what some kind of function that it was understood to have. Um, the, I would say that there's... In, I, I couldn't find any, any place where anybody thought that mercy seat was some kind of a literal translation coming from the word, coming from the Hebrew word. So, it's just likely an attempt to, to go from context, what is its function? What's, what's the reason for it to exist? And so, you know, you might be thinking by now, well, I like the term mercy seat. <laughs> So do I. I mean, I like it too. But think about th- think about these things that, that we just that I read. The other translations, the the two newer ones, uh, and then the one by the Jewish Publication Society. What do they have in common? Atonement cover, atoning cover, cover. That is because the Hebrew word is based on. The word to cover. And the word that we would translate, often translate, atonement. So, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, is what this word is based on. That kind of a word, Yom Kippur. Okay? Day of Atonement. It's based on that. And, and so, sometimes you can look to the Greek translation and say, well, well, maybe it came from there. So, the, the cover has the idea specifically of covering sin. Uh, came to mean that. It may have meant just cover to start with. Came to mean covering sin which then you start thinking about that. So what is that? Well, that means that it is, that it is something that you um, appease God with. So in fact, in fact, it's not uncommon. So this, to have that kind of a word mean on, the, on its face, not necessarily, that's a good way to put it, on its face. It's, it's, the, it's the word that... Um, it, it's a word that it's based on a word that that Jacob uses when he's going to approach Esau and sends a bunch of gifts ahead of him and he says maybe I'll cover his face nobody nobody translates it that way maybe I'll appease him with these gifts so even the really early uses of this word by the time scripture is written down have to do with making amends, making appeasement, um, with reconciling, which is why atonement comes into it. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's what the, the English means, um, at least at one time, originally meant. So, sometimes the Greek translation that was made, the Septuagint that was made before the time of Christ, will help. Well, it also means to appease. 
um, to propitiate. There's an old. There's a word. Um, to atone, to expiate. So propitiate means to make favorable. Uh, expiate would mean like to carry away sin. So that's the Greek word that's used here. So neither the Hebrew nor the Greek word are the word for mercy or the word for seat. So what difference does all this make? I mean, it, it aren't mercy and atonement closely related? Well... God is merciful. And atonement is the sacrifice whereby, um, or through which maybe, God's mercy works. Right? Atonement. Um, so, the, uh, here's what it says in Exodus uh, 25, 22. There I will meet with you from above the mercy seat or the cover or the atonement cover from between the cherubim that are on, on the end of the tar, arc of the testimony. So see, just even think about that. Does that make a difference in understanding? There's more there, I would say, than, than saying mercy. There's the atonement because it, the mercy includes a sacrifice. If it's atonement, the mercy includes a sacrifice. And so when the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies... The instructions you find in um, Leviticus 16. I'm just going to read a couple of verses. We could read the whole chapter. It would apply. But I'll just read a couple of verses here um, from the beginning of, of Leviticus 16. So this is about the Day of Atonement. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place, inside the veil, before the mercy seat, that is, the ark, that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. And so it goes on to describe the, the sacrifices on the Day of Atonement and how, how Aaron is to make atonement for his own sins and the sins of the people of Israel, um, but also to atone, to, to, to put blood on the mercy seat that we call the mercy, that we have translated the mercy seat. The blood is there. Um, and so, as we think about what it means with atonement, what difference does it make? Well, it's about sacrifice. That's the difference it makes. The sacrifice. So the atonement points to a sacrifice. It's clear in the use of the um, holy, what happens in the Holy of Holies, that to be right with God requires a sacrifice. For us to be reconciled to God requires a sacrifice. So it points to atonement. And what does atonement make us think of? Well, atonement, atonement points to Christ. 
specifically the sacrifice of Christ. What he did when he sacrificed himself for us. So, it takes a sacrifice to be right with God. So, the mercy seat, if, we want to, if, if you want to stick with that translation, just know that it's symbolizing the sacrifice, the atonement that comes through the sacrifice. Um, and all of that points to Jesus. So the, the word that is translated, the Greek word then, that, that this is used, that, that is used in the Old Testament to translate um, this from, is, it also shows up in the New Testament in a couple of places. One is, it, one is in Romans 3. The other one is in Hebrews 9. I'm going to turn to the Hebrews 9 one. Um, and there are, there are other related words in the New Testament, but these are the words that are used to translate this, um, this word that, is, that we have translated mercy seats. But this is Hebrews chapter 9. So right away... If you're studying Exodus with us, you should recognize, you should be able to get some context for Hebrews chapter 9. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. Okay? For a tent was prepared, the first section in which there were the lampstand and the table in the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. And behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place. Having a golden altar of incense and the mark and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. So more things were added besides just the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations, having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties, but into the second, only the high priest goes. And he, but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people and not without taking blood so the high priest could not go into the presence of the lord without blood and very specifically there were other things that he was not to go in there with but without blood so think about that as, as we think about um, the world. So if you're, not, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, and you think about what happens after this, you do not want to stand before 
God. Be in God's presence without blood. Because sin requires blood. Sin requires a sacrifice. Sin requires the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, we know that we enter with the blood. In fact, Christ shed his blood for us, and he is our righteousness before God. And so if, if your only hope in this world is in Christ's sacrifice, that's a different thing. Right? As it says earlier in, in Hebrews, that, that we can boldly approach or confidently approach the throne because of what Jesus has done for us. But, but let's just keep going in, in Hebrews 9 and with this we'll wrap it up. So we, we ended in verse 7. We're going to go to verse 8. By this the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet Opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. Just notice that. So these old sacrifices could not perfect your conscience. And by extension, then, this new sacrifice can So, we can approach God through Christ with a conscience, perfect, with a clear conscience, without thinking that we somehow are not to be brought into the presence of God because of what Christ has done. But they only deal with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of Reformation. But when Christ appeared as high priest of good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. For in, if the blood of bulls and goats and the sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes and of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, through whom the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, Purify our conscience. There's that word again. Our conscience. If we are under the blood of Christ, our conscience can be purified. So we're not carrying our sin. Christ carried it away. Purify our conscience from dead works.
to serve the living God. So if you want to use the term mercy seat, it's good. Just know that behind that is the idea that there's a sacrifice that was made for us. There, was, there were sacrifices made many before that couldn't actually forgive sins, but we have the one that can. And so, I'll close with that verse that I, that I started to quote earlier. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy, not the word in mercy seat, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's close in prayer and then we'll sing our final hymn. Father, again, thank you for uh, your word through your servant Moses uh, to us. Uh, And Lord, we thank you for the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, the obedience of Jesus Christ, through whom we can have a clear and pure, perfected conscience and confidently approach the throne, being reconciled to you. Thank you for Jesus, your Son. And we pray in his name. Amen.